0: Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church.
1: I take my pen to write to you a letter, knowing even now you know what's on my mind. But I think perhaps it might make me feel better if I see myself here written in As I close, I see a phrase I took for granted and it leaps out as I see it written there. And as the truth of it begins to become planted, these two words have become my heart. sincerely yours Lord I sign my life to you sincerely yours With a strong and honest wish to be the best that I can be at what I am without a fall Sincerely yours. Without a trace of selfish lines, sincerely yours. Now, until there is no time, please make my life become a letter you can keep. Never Sincerely yours Sincerely
2: No.
3: Christmas, sweet was me
4: darkest waters in deepest pain I wouldn't trade it for anything Cause my brokenness brought me to you And these wounds are a story you use So I'm thankful for
5: the stars Cause without them I would
4: Standing in confidence With the strength of your faithfulness And I'm not who I was
0: Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message.
6: Hey, Steve, appreciate that this morning. If you will, turn with me again to Ephesians, we're still in chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. and. As we began last week, we're going to continue, um, as, as Paul does, to focus on prayer this morning. As we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. This morning, particularly, petitions in prayer. As you're turning there to Ephesians 3, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, we come to you this morning and we are so very thankful for the opportunity that we can spend with you. And as we're going to see this morning... So often we, we pray about so many things. Lord, our minds are filled with this and that um, and, and all these things that affect us day-to-day, uh, health and, and finances and relationships. But most important to you is, is that which is of a spiritual nature, that which lasts for eternity. And so often we're praying for physical health when we need to be praying for spiritual health. So often we're praying about relationships in, in, a, in a way of just... It's it's earthly, instead of how can that relationship point others towards you. Lord, so often we're thinking about things that are temporal, and we need to be thinking about that which is eternal. And so, Lord, I pray that we would pray like Paul prayed, that we would have a heart for that which lasts forever. Lord, I know that I'm a very weak vessel, so I pray that you would hide me behind the cross again this morning. That only you'd be seen, and Lord, that only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If we're completely honest with ourselves, very often our prayer lives can be a bit selfish at times. Far too often we pray about things that are merely temporal and of a physical nature. We pray for material needs and we We pray for the sick physically, and we pray about the burdens and the problems of this life, and we pray for an easier life, and we pray for more money to be able to pay the bills, and we pray about all kinds of things like that. And of course, those are all worthy subjects because of the fact that, in fact, God tells us to pray about those things. In Philippians 4, 6-7, we're told, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so while it is the physical and material and and the financial that seems to occupy much of our thinking and therefore much of our praying, it is the spiritual we see, the spiritual that should be at the heart of Of our prayer life many of the things that we pray about will not be issues in a year they won't be issues in another month they won't be issues in another week they might not even be an issue tomorrow but they occupy so much of our time with the Lord many of the things that we pray about are of a temporal nature but on the other hand spiritual matters spiritual and eternal matters that's what matters to God We can become so consumed with issues that occupy our minds today that we fail to even consider the issues that are of eternal nature. And so Paul's focus is entirely spiritual here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. And so this morning, I want to draw your attention to the heart of Paul's prayer in these verses this morning. So if you will, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Ephesians 3, let's look at verses 16 through 19 together that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which which passeth, passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. You may be seated. In verse 16, we see that he prays for their spiritual power. He prays for their spiritual power. The first petition the apostle makes regards their spiritual power and strength. The word might comes from the Greek word that gives us the English word dynamite or or dynamo. And it refers to inherent power or the power which resides within something By its very nature. So, this doesn't mean that we possess spiritual power in and of ourselves without God, but it speaks to the fact that when He is in us, we have something greater than ourselves. The word also refers to moral power and excellence of soul. In this passage, it speaks of the strength of God and the inner man that enables the believer to live for the Lord. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who he is and what he has done as he has come in and indwelt our life. He now lives within us. And so the first thing I want you to see is the arena of this power. In other words, where this power resides. Paul prays that this power might be revealed in the inner man. Now, he is referring to the soul of the person who inhabits the body. And so he is speaking about the very source of all the problems in the inner life. The soul is the center of our will. It's the center of our emotions and of our thought processes and of our motives. And so everything we do in life results from the decisions we make within the inner man. That's who we really are. So when the inner man is weak... We are then subject to becoming controlled by the power of the flesh. It is the weakness in the inner man that causes us to react in anger or to gossip about others, to to curse, to steal, to lie, to commit sin, or to engage in any of the countless other sins that we commit. It's in the inner man. And so when we came to Christ, we were made partakers of the divine nature, Paul says. And we see that as well as in 2 Peter 1.4. It is from this vantage point that the Holy Spirit is re- reforming us and remaking us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so as the inner man is fed by the word of God, engaged in prayer to God and encounters God through preaching and worship, the inner man is then strengthened. And when the na- natural, uh, we, we see that when the nature of the inner man is neglected, the life of the believer is, never rises to the heights of spiritual fulfillment that Christ desires for us. So when we fail to experience the power of God in the inner man, we are much like a man that John MacArthur in his commentary on Ephesians mentions. That man uh, is a man named Julian Ellis Morris. Mr. Morris was an English man, and and he was very rich, and, and he was very eccentric. And he liked to dress like a tramp, and he would go around... And he would sell razor blades and, and soap and shampoo door to door, making little to nothing doing that. But after a, a day's work, he would return to his beautiful mansion. You see, he, he had millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he would put on formal attire and, and have his chauffeur drive him to exclusive restaurants in, in his limousine. And sometimes he would even catch a flight to Paris and, and spend the evening there all the while living like he had next to nothing during the day. Many Christians live something like Mr. Morris, spending their day-to-day lives in apparent spiritual poverty and only occasionally enjoying the vast riches of his glory, the glory that their Heavenly Father has given to them. And so it is Paul's desire that the Ephesian believers be changed in the inner man or on the spiritual level that that be the change that they experience. But also we see the abundance of this power. Paul prays that their spiritual power may be according to the riches of his glory. He is praying that God will bless them according to his spiritual wealth. And that is an amazing request. Because think about the spiritual wealth that God has. I've I've, I've said this before. When you you think about it, think about it as a billionaire. A billionaire who, who has been asked to give towards a cause and that billionaire chooses to give $1,000. Well, if he gives $1,000 to the cause, he is giving he will be giving out of his wealth. But if that same billionaire gave a million dollars to a cause, he would be giving according to his wealth. Because most any of us if we really wanted to could give $1,000 to something if we really believed in it. But very few of us could give a million dollars. And so there's a big difference here. There's a difference between giving out of your wealth and giving according to your wealth. Paul is praying that God will give believers spiritual power that flows from the vast, limitless resources of God himself. Those very resources became ours when we trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. And so the phrase, the riches of his glory, speaks of those spiritual attributes and abilities that belong to God because of who he is. And so when he moved into our hearts, he brought with him the fullness of his presence and of his power. And so Paul's prayer is is that the Ephesians would be able to experience the full benefits of this relationship with the Lord. Sadly, most believers live like spiritual paupers, though, when in fact they possess the limitless spiritual wealth of the Father. We're like the young man who was on a railroad platform years ago begging for money, just enough money to, to buy a little bit of food. And he walked up to an elderly man and he said to him, Sir, sir, could I I have you spare a dime? And when the man turned around, the young man saw the face of his father looking back at him. He hadn't seen that man for 18 years. The father immediately recognized it was his son. And he embraced him and through tears he said, Son, a dime? A dime? Why, Why, my son, I have been searching for you. For 18 years so that I could give you everything that I have. You see, there's no lack of power. There's no lack of glory or blessing for the people of God. Too often we're asking for a dime and God wants to give us his riches. The apparent lack of of, of so many of these things in our generation stems from a lack of ability to appreciate by faith the things that God has already given to us. The lack of these things exists because we are more concerned with the physical than of the spiritual. God's power and glory are limitless. And our access to those things is only limited by our ability to yield to him. But then also the application of this power. The application of this power. Paul prays that the inner man might be strengthened with the might of his spirit. The power of God in our lives can only come from one place. And again, that doesn't come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit himself. It doesn't come from us being good people. It doesn't come from us trying hard. It comes from the Holy Spirit himself. And so when, it comes, when he comes into our lives, he comes with power. And here's what we need to remember. The inner man of the lost sinner is dead. He's completely dead. But it comes to life and Christ comes in as Savior and Lord. So we once were dead, we are now made alive in Christ. When the sinner is saved, the inner man is brought to life. It is made a new creature. The inner man can see and he can hear and he can taste and he can feel. If he is to grow strong, though, he must be exercised. The inner man must be cleansed and fed. The inner man is always perishing, but the inner man is constantly being renewed. And so... Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, For which cause we faint not, but, through, but though our inward man perish, yet the, in, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. For the things which are not seen are eternal. And so what does it mean for the inner man to be empowered by God? It means that our spirit comes under the complete control of the Holy Spirit now. It means that we yield to his control, his will, his power, and his glory in our lives. When that happens, the inner man grows stronger and is more able to live the life that is pleasing to the Lord It is only when we yield to the Spirit and let Him control the inner man that we succeed in living for the glory of God and not for ourselves. Paul prays for their spiritual power. And if there's one thing every believer I know needs today, it is spiritual power because we can't live this life for Christ on our own. And that is a prayer that we can pray for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. That we might experience the power that only the Holy Spirit can bring to us. May the Lord ever help us to have the spiritual well-being of our fellow believers on our hearts and in our prayers. But secondly, we look at verses 17 through 19 and we see that he prays for their spiritual passion. Paul now turns from praying for their spiritual power to praying for their spiritual passion. And he prays, in his prayer he is, for these believers to be filled with the love of God that manifests itself in love for God and for others. Notice with me the ways that Paul prayed for the spiritual love lives of those around him. We first see in verse 17, the root of this passion. We see that he prayed that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. He is not praying that they would be saved because we see here that they already are saved. When a sinner is saved, we know the Lord takes up residence in this new believer's heart. The word dwell means to settle down to settle down or or to be at home somewhere. It is the idea of someone being comfortable and at home. And so the idea here is that Christ will be able to be comfortable in a house uh, of our hearts until our hearts are controlled by the Spirit of God. He lives in our hearts from the moment that we trust Him as Savior, but He will not be at home there until the Spirit of God controls that heart. Now, many of us can go places. You can visit someone's house, and you can be in that house without it being your home. But to be at home somewhere means that you're comfortable there. You, that, that, that's a place where you feel like you can really relax. So think about it this way. Imagine that you have to move in to a, new, to a new family's home. Something's happened in your life, and you no longer are able to take care of yourself, and so now you have to move in to someone else's home and there's a family that allows you to do that now this family opens their home and they allow you to come in and so you enter in and you do take up residence in that house but these people are pigs literal pigs they never throw out the trash they never pick up anything they don't they don't take care of the used dishes they never take baths they never do anything with the baby's diapers other than just throwing them in the corner they leave food to rot in the cabinets and And in the refrigerator, they never vacuum, they never sweep, they never mop, they never dust. The house is full of all kinds of critters and creeping things. It's an awful mess of a house. So now you might have to live there, but you'll never feel at home there until that place gets cleaned up. The same is true of us, isn't it? This verse is not about salvation. This verse is about sanctification. And the Lord dwells in our hearts by faith. And he does that the moment that you cry out to the Lord for salvation. But he is not at home in our hearts until we are under the control of the Spirit, until our lives are clean. When the Spirit of God controls us, he cleans us up and our lives creating a comfortable home for the Lord Jesus Christ. A place that he can be comfortable in. Not just a place to live in, but a place to call home. Consider a house of your heart today. Christ may live there, but can you truly say that your life is a house that he feels at home in? Your heart may be his house, his temple, but can it truly be called his home? It should be. But also we see there in verse 17 the reality of this passion. As Paul continues his prayer, he asks that they be rooted and grounded in love. Those words speak of putting down roots to give a strong foundation and being stable or established. And so he's praying for their maturity in Christ here. You see, the evidence of any life that has been brought under the control in the Lordship of Christ, that's been brought under control of the Spirit of God, is the presence of genuine love in that life. When a person is saved, the love of God is shed abroad in his heart. This love manifests itself in the love of God for, for God and for their fellow man. And so it is the Lord's desire that we truly love one another. Not just a passive love, but that we truly love one another. John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. We're commanded to love. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, Seeing ye have purified your souls And obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. You see, when the Spirit of God controls us, and when we're walking in his power, we will be that that presence of Christ inside of us will be proved by the way that we love the Lord and by the way that we love others. Do you love your neighbor? Do you love the members of this church the way that Christ has called you to? Many years ago, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse pointed out that love is central to the fruit of the Spirit found there in Galatians 5.22. And he said this, he said, Love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. And so, in other words, there can be no fruit of the Spirit without love. And thus no evidence of the presence of the Lord apart from love. If you don't love, then you don't know Jesus. When the fruit of the Spirit is absent, so is the Spirit himself. And so Paul is simply reminding us that love for the Lord and for others is central to our existence, to our very existence as believers. It's as unnatural for a believer not to love as it is for a fish to jump out of the water and to try to run a marathon. It's impossible. It doesn't happen. And so we see here that the believer is given the love of God When he is given the spirit of God. And so to fail to love is as difficult as failing to breathe for the Christian. The only way for a believer to not love. For you to truly be a believer and for you to still not love your brother in Christ. Is for you to simply be an actively disobedient child of God. Are you being actively disobedient by not loving A brother or sister in Christ here in your church? Are you being actively disobedient by not loving someone in the community? If the presence of the Holy Spirit is within your life and you're not loving, you're being actively disobedient to the Lord. We can claim any excuse we want to, but the fact is a lack of love is never the fault of the other person. A lack of love in any believer's life is always the result of a disobedient, unyielding spirit. In fact, the believer who claims to love God, but who hates his brother, is a liar. And that's not Brother Brad saying that. That's God saying that. 1 John 4, 20-21. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him. That he who loveth God love his brother also. Church, when a life is yielded to Christ in humble obedience, that believer can love as he loves. If you know Christ, then you are able to love. Many times, in ways it'd be unexplainable if the Holy Spirit didn't dwell within you. But when he's there, you can learn to love like Christ. According to Lord Jesus, there is only one commandment for living. And that commandment is love. Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 39 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy thy mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus himself said, if you're loving, then you're keeping all the other commandments as well. Because if you're loving, then you're not going to murder. If you truly love your brother, you're not going to covet the things that he has. If you truly love your parents, you're going to obey them. Everything that we see hangs on love. Paul echoes that in Romans chapter 13, 8 through 10. Whoa, no man, no man, anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. God wants his people to be rooted in his love and built up through loving others and by being loved by others. Are you loving the way that Christ has called you to love? This is Paul's prayer for the church. It's his prayer for the church then, and it should still be our prayer for our church today. So how is your love life? Does it look like the life that Jesus would have it to be? But then also look at verses 18 through 19. We see the result of this passion. When we are rooted and grounded in the love of Of God, We will be in a position to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height of that love. And so as the love of God is worked out towards us, in us, and through us, it makes the love of God more understandable to all who experience it. When Paul mentions the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, he's not talking about four kinds of love. No, instead he is talking about the fullness or the vastness of God's love. R. Kent Hughes writes the following about this verse. He says, A love which is wide enough to embrace the world. A love which is long enough to last forever. A love which is high enough to take sinners to heaven. And a love which is deep enough to take Christ to the very depths to reach the lowest sinner. You see, Christ's love is indeed incomprehensible. But Paul says, For our comprehension that we may have power together with all the saints to grasp its dimensions. He's saying literally to to be able to take hold of them, to, to be able to seize them, to understand them. He knows that's impossible, but he calls on us to to this grand spiritual exercise for the health of our souls. It is to be our life's occupation to try to grasp the love of God. And so when we are controlled by the Spirit and filled with his love, we're brought into a place where we can comprehend the vast and measurable love of God. The word comprehend means to grasp or to lay hold of, and only as His love fills us can we grasp what love truly means. And only when His love flows through us can others come to know the love of Christ, which passeth understanding. To know His love and to show His love is the exercise of a miracle like no other. But then, lastly, look at verse the last of. Part of verse nineteen with me, he prays for their spiritual prosperity. Paul's final petition for the Ephesian believers is that they might be filled with all the fullness of God, and that's a remarkable request. How can the infinite hold the? How can the finite hold the infinite? How can something so small contain someone who fills all things completely? And so imagine, if you will, that you are standing at the ocean. And and you feel just how massive that it truly is and how small that you are in comparison to it. And you've got a bucket, one small bucket. And so you take that bucket, and it's a one-gallon bucket, and you dip it into the ocean. That bucket would immediately be filled with the power and the fullness of that ocean. Now, our bucket could not contain all the fullness of that ocean, but it would still be filled completely with the ocean. Thus it is with Christ and his church. We dip our puny bucket of our life into the vast ocean of his glory, and we are instantly filled with him. However, these finite vessels cannot contain all that he is, yet we find that being open to his power and his glory and his fullness enables us to hold even more of him. Paul is praying that we might know the fullness of the Lord. He wants our vessels filled with the Lord's power, presence, love, and glory. And so that's only possible as we yield our vessels to him and allow him to flow into us until we are so filled with him that there's nothing else in us but Christ. And by the way, to be filled with him implies that we become empty of ourselves. The word filled means to be full of or to be filled to the fullest. It speaks of total domination. The person filled with anger is dominated by anger. The person filled with wickedness is dominated by lust the person filled with happiness is dominated by joy and so to be filled with the fullness of God is to be dominated by him completely and so maybe instead of thinking of just that that bucket maybe you want to think of yourself as being a a, a vessel that has been sunk into the ocean of his grace until you're filled completely with all that he is and and all that, that, that that he desires for you We are ships that are dominated by the sea of his glory and we're driven about by the waves of his will, carried by the whim of his desires. We are his and there is no room for us, for anything else, only for him. Total domination is what the Lord is after in our lives, that he have us completely. He will not rest until he controls our lives to the fullest. And so the longer we strive to control our own love, the harder we will fight against Him. It is only when we yield to Him fully that we can be filled with all that He is. I realize that this is something that will not be fully realized for us until we're at home in heaven with glorified bodies. But I also know many have gone a long way towards realizing the goal of being filled with Him, of truly having Him dominate their very lives. Regardless of where you might be on that journey, it's always possible for us to open ourselves up to more of him, his power and his presence in our life. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is an amazing prayer. He asks for spiritual gifts that can only come from the Lord. We see here that Paul steps away from the usual formula for prayer, which goes, bless me and mine and make me happy. And he moves to Lord Do whatever it takes to make me holy. Do whatever it takes to make me holy. So what does this passage have to say to you about your own prayer life this morning? Where are you on that journey? How many maybe this morning recognize that you need to work on it? That you you really haven't moved very far beyond just the praying for health and wealth and good things to the place of really being broken about God fill me with who you are no matter what it takes make me holy how many need to come and pray that prayer for family and friends and the fellow church members that that all of us might come to that place of being so consumed with him that there's no room for selfishness in us how many of us need to come and deal with a problem area in our life we have a besetting sin, that, that issue that rises up again and again and again. And, and it's, it's that weak spot. And the devil knows where it is and he attacks it. And maybe we just need to pray, God, show me how your spirit can give me victory in this area. How many need to be honest to the fact that your life is really still dead because you have no relationship with Christ? You, you don't know Jesus in a personal way. How many this morning would say, You know what? I, I need a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you today, he desires to come in. If you recognize you're a sinner, if you're ready to repent, meaning turning away from that sin and turning to him, and by faith accepting that free gift of grace, then you can be saved today. And if that's you, that's the first step in having a powerful prayer life is knowing the one you're praying to. And so that's what you need today. I pray that today might be the day of salvation for you. Whatever the Lord said to you today, if it has to do with your prayer life and how you can become more consumed with him and, and, and love for him and love for, for your fellow, fellow believer and for your neighbor, or whether it be that you're lost and you need to come to Christ, whatever it is, if he's moved on your heart today, would you respond to him? Lord Heavenly Father, we come to you again this morning. And we are so very thankful for Paul's prayer, this powerful prayer, not focused on, on the things of this world, but focused on your kingdom, focused on that which will last forever. And, Lord, I pray that we would have that same passion in our hearts, that we would pray that we would be consumed and that our our families would be consumed and that our church family would be consumed with you, no matter what it takes, that we would live holy lives. Lord, that starts with having a personal relationship with you. And so I know that we've got some folks here today who are lost, and they don't yet know you as Savior and as Lord. And all of us know what it is because all of us were at that place. All of us were at that place of recognizing our sin before we came to you. And it's a difficult place to stand. But Lord, I pray today that they would move. Lord, that they would move to that place of saying, you know what, I'm a sinner and I'm not okay with it anymore. I need you, Jesus. I need you to save me. I need you to change me. And Lord, I pray that we would see that take place today. But all of us, all of us can go farther. All of us can go deeper in our prayer life. All of us can go further in loving one another, being sacrificial in our life. So Lord, whatever the decisions that we need to make, what, what, however you've called us to move, Help us to be obedient. Oh, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So stand.
0: Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with a relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on MediaCom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening. And may God bless you and your family.